0: Hey guys, welcome back to T N W again. If you don't know me. My name's Josh. Um, if you don't know me, and yeah, so I don't know why I'm saying that. That's weird. But uh, I'm Josh. I'm one of the campus pastors here at American University Chi Alpha, and this is Thursday night worship. So uh, get to jump into a little bit of text tonight and uh, talk a little bit about what Paul's saying to the church at. Ephesus and the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. But before we jump into that, um, I'm already kind of in Thanksgiving mode too. And so um, I'm excited for next week. This time next week, I'm going to be in a total food coma. Uh, I'm really excited about it. For the first time since we've moved to D.C., we're actually celebrating Thanksgiving in the city. Um, Normally, the past couple years, we've gone to our international student retreat And, um, haven't been able to celebrate Thanksgiving, um, like here in the city in our apartment, but this is the first year we're able to, and we're actually, I'm so excited about being able to celebrate that with my wife, Brittany, and my daughter, Evie, and to start some new traditions, um, really excited for that. Um, I was laughing the other day with some of the chaplains here in K. We went to the University Dining Club. They treated us, um, to a meal, and walk in, and there's, like, turkey and Brussels sprouts and all the good stuff, and I'm like, man this is going to be the only time this Thanksgiving I get turkey. And I'm super excited about it. And Chris is looking at me like, what do you mean? That's, that's heresy. And um, I hate to tell you, Chris, but Brittany told me the other day she was just going to get a rotisserie chicken. Um, and I gave that same look. I was like, no, we have to have turkey. Well, sitting in our freezer right now is a frozen turkey breast. And so... Um, We're not doing a whole turkey just for two people and a baby, but we are doing turkey for Thanksgiving, and so really excited about that. With the turkey, we're also having roasted Brussels sprouts, good old southern mac and cheese, uh, yeah, (laughs) cranberry sauce, which isn't really my favorite, but it's Brittany's, Uh, stuffing, homemade rolls, oh, and buttermilk pie. Anyone have buttermilk pie? Yes. It's a southern thing. It's amazing. I grew up on buttermilk pie. My mom used to send me to college um, back for finals with three buttermilk pies um, wrapped in tinfoil. And I'd just put them on my seat in my car, drive back to school, and I would just eat them with a fork in my dorm room. That's <laughs> I'm so excited about it. So... We're going to be having a feast for two people on Thanksgiving Day. It's going to be amazing. But as I look forward to Thanksgiving, to me, it starts the holiday season. I'm not one of these celebrate Halloween, set up a Christmas tree then, um, or set up a Christmas tree in July, even though um, the Christmas lights were up year-round in Georgia. Um, It's just kind of how it is back home. But Thanksgiving marks the holiday season starting for me. And... Part of the excitement comes with being able to celebrate with the people I love. That has not always been the case, because if um, you've heard stories of my family before, sometimes holidays have been pretty hectic and crazy. Um, But I think holidays can be stressful, regardless of where you come from, whatever you do. Um, You may be going home to family that um, you really don't want to go home to, or maybe you're um, just stressed out about, Getting there, coming back, taking finals, the whole process, it can be um, it can be a stressful time. It could be a really happy time. But um, I think it goes right into our passage tonight to talk about this a little bit because holidays are stressful sometimes because people are stressful. Anyone can testify to that one? Yeah, okay. I'm going to get a little bit of crowd participation tonight. We haven't had it all semester. So, um... But people are stressful because people have different preferences. Gravy on or off the turkey? On. Okay. Turkey or ham? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Thanksgiving lunch or Thanksgiving dinner? Thank you. (laughs) Brittany and I had that conversation last night, and... She was like, wait, you did Thanksgiving lunch? And I said, yeah, you do Thanksgiving lunch right around 1 o'clock. So you feast, you take a nap, and then you have leftovers that day. Okay. Yes, I'm telling you, I'm a Thanksgiving pro. Johnny's like, no, uh uh-uh, can't do it. (laughs) But these are easy decisions to make most of the time when we compare them to interpersonal relationships. Family relationships can be the toughest of them all. And so, we've been reading through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and so far it seems like we've tackled almost every topic. But Paul begins to wrap up his letter, and he leaves this topic of family relationships and interpersonal relationships to the end. He addresses what could be one of the most difficult areas of our lives to live out our faith in. And when we come to know Jesus, what Paul's saying here is that every aspect of our life should be affected, especially our relationship with others. Now, before we jump into today's passage, I want to give a couple disclaimers. It's really important. First off, this passage is really tough. This passage is one that um, I knew I was preaching before um, the semester began, and I was like, crap, I cannot get away from this. Um, I'm really really glad that we preach verse by verse through a book, um, at least try to do that once a year. But then when that happens, you can't just skip a chunk of scripture that you're not comfortable with teaching, or skip a chunk of scripture that sometimes can be pretty tough, like this one. This... Passage is tough because it sounds like it condones things that it really doesn't. This is a case where scripture has been used to oppress specific people, but we have to look at this passage in context and do the hard work that we talked about and talk about every week of pulling out the truth that was being communicated to the when and the where and then apply it to our context today. It's tough, but it's possible. Also, when we interpret scripture, there are going to be different interpretations. These are informed by worldview, where we grew up, how we grew up, current context, our current philosophy, etc. We have to be willing to be wrong in what we think we already know. Especially when it comes to the hard text in scripture. So for Paul, this text that we're about to read was countercultural at the time, and it's countercultural now in a different way. (laughs) I once heard that if you come up against a hard text in scripture, most people just turn away or gloss over it, but we're really supposed to dig in and try to find the truth in this. And so that's kind of what we're going to do today. So everyone cool with that. Great. Awesome. Let's jump in. Verse 21 of chapter 5 starts out. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Everyone take a deep breath. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. But I am talking about Christ in the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Verse 6, or chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they're slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, there is no favoritism with him. Whoa. Everyone still with me? I only saw, like, one person leave, so I count that as a success. What is Paul getting at here? In this passage, we see Paul, a Roman citizen, writing to a Greco-Roman context. And he's addressing this thing that's not even specifically mentioned here, but it's called a household code. What is a household code? A little bit of history and background for this. Any philosophy majors? No, awesome, you're doing something with your life. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Sorry. In his work on governance, the Greek philosopher Aristotle He writes this large section on family roles, and it's called Household Codes, this idea here. In it, Aristotle instructs the male head of the household to rule his wife, children, and slaves, in that order. Philosophers, afterwards, they begin adopting this same scheme, and they often use it in the same sequence to talk about how to manage your household well. Because Rome as a nation, as an empire, was suspicious on minority religious groups, they were suspicious that they would undermine these traditional values that had been upheld. These minority groups often labored to affirm and reaffirm their belief in Roman values. What Paul is doing here is using the same scheme as Aristotle, looking at the household code the relation of the male head of the household, as it was assumed in his day, to wives, children, and slaves. However, what we see in this is that Paul doesn't just stop there. He changes the standard formula. Instead of just addressing slave-holding men, he also addresses the wives, children, and slaves those of which probably comprise the bulk of the early church, not the men. What he has to say to them matters. It still matters today. It mattered then. We can't ignore it. And it's all framed by the first verse of this passage. It states, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Side note on this. Submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. Depending on your Bible translation, you may see that the next section is broken up. In the NIV, this section starts with submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. In other translations of Scripture, it starts with the second verse, wives submit to your husbands. But we have to look at the whole context here. Because the wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives comes out of this verse It says, submit to one another. What Paul is not saying is that women, children, and slaves are inferior and should be mistreated. He's calling for mutual submission in the body of Christ. So we pick up this first section when talking about the marriage relationship. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands. But he also comes back around and says, husbands, love your wives. You would not take the statement, husbands, love your wives, to mean, wives, you don't have to love your husbands. So why has the church for generations looked at the statement, wives, submit to your husbands, and assumed that it just was specific for women? Because the verse directly before that says, submit to one another, so this verse actually does mean men submit to your wives as well. The church out of reverence and love for Christ submits. This is the model that we see in this passage. Paul goes into it a big deal, but he says that the marriage relationship is the model Christ in the church. Mutual love expressed in submission to one another, Christ laying down his life for the church. He submits. And if Christ submits, then we all should submit. Basically, Paul saying here, do not do this out of cultural prescription, but do this out of mutual love for each other. Paul also continues on, and he reframes this idea of a child's relationship with their parents. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Brittany tells me this a good bit. Um, she, like, quotes this verse, and it's funny, because I I have to realize that I'm doing it sometimes with Evie. I'm, like, poking her just to get a reaction, and she's like, Josh, you're not supposed to instigate her, and uh, I'm like, "Oh yeah, you're right, like. But what Paul's advocating for here is fathers treating their children with kindness and love. This is actually an unexpected shift for Greco-Roman culture, Because the father in this culture was expected to be the one to discipline and chastise the children. Children were supposed to obey their parents. However, their father was the one to discipline. It wasn't often that you saw a father display outright love for his child. But Paul's saying here that out of a relationship with Christ as we talked about last week, being filled with the Spirit, the Father was to be kind and to love his children. Paul was drawing a parallel here from the Father's love and the Father's role to the role and the love of the Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father does not shy away from discipline, doesn't shy away from uh, correcting and rebuking us, but he doesn't discipline us out of hate or animosity does this out of love and desire for growth and out of desire to see us mature as believers. Paul continues in the final section and says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. Just a word about this. This verse for centuries has been taken out of context to condone slavery to say, look, the Bible says this, we should do it. And it's absolutely taken out of context. We've said it before, we're continuing to say it. There's no room for racism, bigotry, or hatred in the kingdom of God. And this passage is not used to support slavery. Actually, Paul's statements here are so countercultural to this. He's speaking into the culture of the Greco-Roman state And he's saying, we need to look at this differently as Christians. He realized that at that point, there was nothing that this small Christian movement can do to topple an empire, but they could change how they live and interpersonal relationships. In Paul's urban congregations, like here in the city of Ephesus, the slaves would have been household slaves who had more freedom and more frequently had opportunities for liberation than other slaves. Unlike recent slavery, it was not based on race or ethnicity. Anyone could become a slave, and nearly any slave could become free. However, we have to still read this as they were slaves, because they were still slaves. It wasn't that they were just workers, but they were still slaves. Paul's writing here to the slaves in his community He's commanding them to work for their masters as if they were working daily for Christ. Paul here is basically saying that being under Christ's authority does not mean that we're free from social or civil authority. However, Paul doesn't just say, submit to the authority. He addresses that authority as well. He says, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Masters of slaves in a Greco Roman context had the right to treat their slaves however they wanted. But Paul responds with one of the most radically anti slavery and anti oppression statements of his day, and he says, Treat your slaves in the same way as they treat you. With respect and fear. He says, set aside your rights. Set aside what culture says you have the ability to do. Treat others the way you would be treated. You may be sitting there, and I may have lost you already. You're not married. You don't have kids. And you definitely don't own slaves. So you're like, how does this apply to me now? What can you get out of this passage? If we believe what Scripture says, that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, and rebuking, and correcting, and training, and manners of righteousness. How can we pull out of this context and out of this passage something that applies to our radically different context today? Let's look at another passage real quick, and we'll jump right back to Ephesians. I believe this passage in Mark really informs where we're going. Starting in chapter 10, verse 42, it says, Jesus called them together, his disciples, and said, Jesus commands us to lower our rights and to serve each other. By lowering ourselves and by dying to our rights and giving others around us mutual authority, we become more like Jesus. So what Paul is saying here in Ephesians and uh, a way of looking at the household codes and saying this is the sphere of relationship for the Ephesian church It's not new. He's following the model of Jesus. He's saying mutual submission is serving one another. Mutual submission showing love to those you don't think you should have to show love to. There is no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. We're all on the same playing field, and we're all supposed to love one another equally. You weren't called to elevate yourself over anyone else, but to lower yourself as an example of Christ. So yeah, sitting here today, you may not fall directly into one of those three categories as married with children and owning slaves. It's more than likely not you. But the truth behind the text is this. Our calling as Christians should affect our relationships with one another. Jesus told his disciples that the world would know that there is disciples by the way we love one another. Do you truly love those around you? Those in your small group? The people who aren't here right now? If you're not loving, if you're not loving them, if you're not serving them, if you're not living in submission to others, then you're not showing Christ. In this passage, Paul takes life as the Ephesians know it and he flips it on its head. He says claiming to know Christ and not actually living like you do in your interpersonal relationships is not being a Christian. It's not following Jesus and it's not being a disciple for Paul and for us there is no difference between the secular and the sacred everything touches everything and all of our relationships matter for Paul we see this in the passage as he's talking to the slaves saying work for your masters as if you're working for Christ In this context, he's talking about the workplace, and he's saying there's this theology of work here, saying that we are to work as if we're working directly for Christ. So as we talked about last week with integrity, do you have integrity enough to work that hard even when your supervisor's not watching? Do you have integrity enough to view your secular work as sacred? Because in the kingdom of God, everything's sacred. Every relationship you have is sacred. Every conversation you have is sacred. There shouldn't be a switch that you flip on and off and say, this is when I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. And this is when I'm safe with my roommate. And I get to talk and joke and watch whatever that actually degrades people or um, doesn't reflect Jesus. That shouldn't be present in our lives as disciples. Everything touches everything. The band could go ahead and come back up. We live in a series of interdependent relationships. We all have obligations to one another. Earlier in the series, we talked about the body of Christ and how one part of the body affects the other. If one part's hurting, then the whole body should be hurting. Same thing, like, if we're not submitting to each other, then the body of Christ is suffering. If we're not walking in mutual submission to each other, if we're not serving each other and loving each other, the world is seeing a misrepresented Jesus. What would happen if we took Paul at his word and sought to live out mutual submission to one another? What if we let people speak hard truths into our lives and we actually listened? What if we prayed for each other? What if we bore each other's burdens daily and not just after a service? What if we did this not to get anything out of it, but just out of mutual submission of saying, I care for you, so I'm going to lower myself a little bit. What would our community look like? What would not just our community look like, but what would the effects be outside of this room, onto this campus, city, wherever you go when you graduate? If we started here with serving each other and mutually submitting, what would that look like? How would it change how the world views Jesus? We all have need to grow in this area. I'm preaching to myself just as much as you. I took a... uh, ministry gift survey the other day Um, my coach with National Chi Alpha had me take it I was laughing because the results came back and it was like my top one leadership at 92 out of 100 bottom one at 42 out of 100 mercy and compassion I was like that's so wrong like I laughed because I was like yeah I see that but then I felt like the Holy Spirit just whispered and said Josh that's wrong Maybe you're not there either. I know I'm not. I'm working, I'm praying and saying, God, give me more mercy with people. Help me give people the benefit of the doubt. Help me realize people aren't always against me. Help me have more mercy. Help me have compassion. Help me submit to each other, to my staff team, to you guys. Let's seek Jesus together together. Let's seek Jesus individually. Let's seek Jesus for the sake of others. Let's let him shape our submission. Let's not do it just, just to do it, but ask Jesus, what would you have me do? No one is over another in the kingdom of God. No one's better than the other in the kingdom of God. Let's love as Christ first loved us and laid down his life for us. During this next song, I just want to give you a time to respond. I'm not going to give you a prompt or say, hey, maybe you need to respond in this area. Maybe God's just been whispering something to you. Maybe there's someone in this room that you feel like God's laid on your heart and said, hey, go talk to that person. I trust that voice. But let's be Jesus to our community. When we come into proper relationship with Jesus, it changes everything, and it should be seen in our interpersonal relationships. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the hard passages that take a little bit of chewing on. God, I'm still digesting this in my personal life, but God, I'm sorry. Sorry for the times that I haven't been compassionate, the times that I haven't sought the welfare of others, put myself first. God, I want to reflect to you. I want to serve others. I want people to know you because of the way we love. God, be in our community. Challenge us to rise up, to lower ourselves, to die to ourselves. Help us submit to one another as we submit to you. In Jesus' name.